This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas from the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Sarah Shackett. I'm your first Bad Ideas host today. And my name is Zach Valenti, and I am questioning reality. No, I'm your second uh, Bad Ideas host today because Gabrielle is abroad and will join us again sometime soon. We wish him well. But we have found just the most awesome person to come hang out with us while he is gone. Uh, She is a phenomenal podcast writer. The creator of The Bright Sessions needs no further introduction. It's the great Lauren Shippen. I'm so excited to be here. It's so awesome to have you. you. I don't know how we haven't haven't done this until now. Like I've been so remiss at at at, at trying to worm my way onto the show. I know with all of all of our free time. All of our free time, our abundance free time. How frequently we are able to actually talk and spend time with each other. (laughs) We are actually all in separate multiverses right now. These are the ones that we could make work. Yeah. Uh (laughs) We're very busy in the other ones. The G Cal sync across the multiverses a nightmare. <laughs> the color coding help, helpful, though. Hugely, hugely. Lauren, for anyone who happens, I, I cannot imagine this theoretical person, but if someone is listening <laughs> to the show and does has not heard uh, any of your work before, would you mind giving like the three second spiel of uh, some of your shows and what you do? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I am a fiction podcast writer, which puts me in like the, you know, 1% of podcasters with you guys of working in fiction. And I write all sorts of shows. Um, the Bright Sessions being my first, Bridgewater being my most recent. A lot of them have some sort of supernatural element to them. Um, a lot of them are very queer. A lot of them will give you lots of feelings. And that's kind of where I live. Feelings very much confirmed. <laughs> Sometimes people sing. You know, it's, it's a good time. We have fun. And you have something new that is coming out shortly, right? I do. Yes. So as of this recording, um, it is, yeah, it, it, it's in exactly two weeks, um, almost wow. a minute, actually, <laughs> which is wild. It is two weeks and 15 minutes from now, I will be premiering uh, the pilot episode of a new show called Mirage Diner at the Tribeca Festival, which is wild. Um, it is about a diner that travels through space and time in America and the diner workers who work there and meet all sorts of people in their travels. It's going to be a weekly fiction show, which is new for me when it eventually comes out. But as of right now, it is just the pilot that's premiering at Tribeca to kind of get get our feet wet in it and get the get the word out there. Amazing. And if you are listening to this, you can go listen to this show. Yes, you can attend the premiere, in fact, um, and then uh, listen to it on 
online somewhere that it will live on, after the on premiere. The internet. Wherever <laughs> on the internet. Goes. On the internet. <laughs> uh, including this show. We, we also do a show here, which we should probably do now. This is No Bad Ideas. It is a game show where we and our friends bring horrible ideas from the internet and then we present them to our friends for our amusement and their horror uh, and then have 10 short minutes to try and turn this bad idea into the pitch for a good movie, podcast, comic book, whatever strikes our fancy. I am delighted to be the first inflictor of badness today. (laughs) Please join me, if you will, at artnews.com. Okay. I am not Banksy. Welsh politician resigns over strange conspiracy theory. Oh, no. Oh, boy. (laughs) A local Welsh politician, William Gagnon, resigned his post after a conspiracy theory pointed to him as the real identity of the anonymous artist Banksy, reported BBC News. Though it's unclear who made the allegations or why, Gagnon claims that people were asking him to prove he was or was not Banksy so often that it was, quote, undermining my ability to do the work of a counselor, he told the BBC oh, no. News. <laughs> it's got to the point where he began to wear a button that spelled out, I am not Banksy, not That's all caps. That's the most caps. adorable thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's also an extremely Banksy thing to do, just I mean, to be just clear. Say, right? like, there's, le- there's levels, there's layers. Um, in an interview with The Telegraph, Gagnon speculated that the rumor that he was Banksy was started by a rival council group who took advantage of Gagnon's years as a local artist to serve oh as the God. basis of the allegations. Gagnon recounted that while the theory he was Banksy started swirling around this past January, it reached ahead when he was voted in as councillor in May. Graffiti started springing up all around the small Welsh town of Pembroke Dock. And in the end, Gagnon and his fellow council members decided that he would have to resign in order to protect the town from further controversy. In his resignation letter acquired by the Telegraph, he wrote, it was felt that to protect the reputation of the town, Pembroke Dock did not need another controversial counselor dragging the reputation through through the mud. There's layers. Uh, Unfortunately, there's no context for that in the article, so we'll just have to leave that to our imagination. A story that could only have been created in the chaos of local politics. Even a known prankster like Banksy could have never imagined his anonymity would one day have such weird and specific knock-on effects. Gagnon will return to his past profession as an artist. Perhaps Banksy? I add as an editorial question. And with this, I put 10 minutes on a clock. I am delighted to hear you turn. What the hell is going on in this small, small Welsh town into something narrative? I I have to imagine that this is going on all over Wales. This feels like the most small Welsh town thing to ever happen. Seriously. I have like my first thought is... This is some sort of absurdist comedy. And then I thought it's it's American Vandal. Yeah. You follow you follow some some Welsh townspeople as they try to crack the mystery of this guy being Banksy, except he's not. And so it just is like an increasingly (laughs) ridiculous series of hijinks as they try to prove something that's not actually real. (laughs) I love it. The put upon public servant who is just being like hounded by cameras. (laughs) 
And like, I want his art to be the most like hotel landscape art imaginable. <laughs> yeah, that, like, like Thomas the most Kincaid. Bob Ross. My God. <laughs> that it can possibly be because I, I, I'm just imagining this sort of jolly Welsh fellow who takes a lot of joy in painting, but is not like or at least outwardly appearing, because who knows? An edgy, modern, modern artist. Who knows? And so I guess we're following, like, I wonder how old are these people? Are they are they American Vandal teens? Are they older folks? Maybe we do like a, like a you know, a grandchild, grandparent team of like yeah. one elderly person who like knows all of the people in the town, like very much, you know, like Murder, She Wrote. Mm-hmm. And then like the young scrappy teen who like is using the internet to like find out stuff and and is sort of uh leading this this charge right and because it's a small welsh town like his bedroom is the only place in town where you can get internet <laughs> exactly <laughs> he's tapped in in a way that the rest of this town no is not right, right right they have the yeah. satellite <laughs> yes perfect and we can I have think... are you go go ahead no no go go please no i was just gonna say that like we can have sort of charming sort of small town um set pieces of miscommunication that doesn't happen now that most of us have smartphones, but can still happen in this place. Yes. Yes. And like, I think that, you know, as you as you're walking through this town and following these characters in the background of most of the shots, there is like a piece of graffiti that very is clearly Banksy. And it's just like <laughs> these little like Easter eggs throughout the show or the movie of just like Banksy's definitely been here. Because I think I think the big question is like, you know, is this guy actually Banksy? Mm hmm. Is somebody else in this area is possibly one of the one of the rival town council people trying to deflect attention right. from them because they're actually Ooh. Banksy. I love the answer being yes. Like, yes. yeah, right, <laughs> I, do, right. I, I, I absolutely think like this is totally a, a scheme by the rival small town of like this new council person is an artist. We're both going out for the grant funding to fix our docks or like our historic, you know, um, Celtic site on the hill. There's, you know, whatever, whatever it is, like we both want to throw the harvest festival at the same time of year. There's only enough for one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so this is like their attempt to sabotage it in a very like Eagleton versus Pawnee Parks and Rec (laughs) kind of a way. Yeah, perfect. But Banksy lives in this town 100%. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And, and, and then you can make it a scathing commentary on municipal funding, you know, and the fact that there should be enough for both of these towns to be able to repair really, their dogs. this is the Tories' fault. <laughs> yes, exactly. Amazing. There were six minutes on the clock. Oh, Lord. oh boy. We got it. We got a lot of a lot of space to work with. What do we think this previous council person did? I think we need to address that. So what was the, 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 previ- the previous controversy? The, did it right. have anything to do with art or not? Mm, interesting. Interesting. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was like an art fraud thing or or uh, some sort of yeah. scheme. Like this person kind of represented like we have this ancient Roman pot that makes, you know, this site a historical heritage, whatever. And it was fake or something like that. Yes. And maybe that like then this this town P- Pembroke, is that what it's called? 
Pembroke Dock. Pembroke Dock. Maybe Pembroke Dock. Yes, this previous council person was able to get funding from the, yes. um, the oh God, what's it called over in England? The big heritage oh, foundation. The the, 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 yeah, the, like the National yeah. Heritage Trust or whatever. Whatever That, it is, that like yeah. does all of the the sort of old old ruins and whatnot. They were yeah, able to like, get funding for this, for this thing yeah. and it turned out to be a fake. And that funding was supposed to go to this other rival town. And this is why there's this oh. deep-seated b- bitter oh. rivalry, That's you know? Right. What if instead of a fake, they they have a party and they get wasted and break it? Oh, oh no! no. <laughs> so that it's like real scandalous. Like yes, you yeah. blew our entire annual budget <laughs> on your stupid and destroyed this yeah, artifact. And destroyed it. Yeah, artifact. it's now useless. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh no. Yes. This council person was just, w- was, you know, throwing these massive parties all the time that probably he was using funds from the town government to throw. Let's be honest. I mean, yes. Or, or was using it as a fundraising thing for his campaigns or whatever. And that's how this got, that got broken. Scandalous. And I'll throw another wrinkle into it of this, this disgraced council person was slightly younger than like the median age of the town. And as a result of the partying scandal, uh, a lot of the young people in the family or in the in the town have been ostracized and moved away so that our our focus character, who is the conspiracy theorist friend, is like ha- has has a little ways to go to be believed by the rest of the townspeople. Right. Uh, right. In terms of just like you, you young whippersnapper. You youth. You don't yes. know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. They got to demonstrate they're not the enemy. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do we think do we think this kid ever actually finds the real Banksy. Oof. I like the idea that they do and they choose to keep the secret. Yeah, yeah. that's good. I feel like mm-hmm. that puts some something at stake. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it not like that. That implies that there's a little bit of growth, too. Um, Absolutely. In in this person and their, their need for the truth of proving who Banksy is, uh, which I like because it, it then tempers our absurdist comedy a little bit. Um, right. Whereas if it, if we were just going crazy, I I don't know how it would end. Well, and, and maybe yeah. here's a, a complication. What if instead of the Banksy accusation resulting in the resignation, mm-hmm. it ends up being a propellant for this unstoppable political force <laughs> and that like the Banksy, the actual Banksy sort of like puts a piece in the town that then recoup like they're able to sell recoups like the loss Mm -hmm. makes up for the you know the Uh. last controversy and now you're you're in a different situation where it's like oh like I'm not Banksy, but like wink Banksy for like prime minister. Right, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I can I can sort of play around with this in order to benefit my own political machinations. But it's funny because the town is full of old people, so they probably don't care about Banksy. That's true. They're just like, they're like, oh, we're happy that that people are coming to yes. our town now and like, pa- you know, patronizing the, the local pubs and stuff to in exactly. order to see this Banksy art. But like, we don't know who this person is. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's very fun. The, the idea of like the sleepy town sort of becoming this media circus because yeah. of like an influx of, of, of tourists and media trying to find this elusive artist who's been secret for decades. It's, it's very, very fun. But then a rival uh, Banksy sculpture shows up towards the end of the movie in like Northern Ireland or somewhere and the media circus goes elsewhere and the town is sort of able to get back to its equilibrium by the end. Right. But still has to reckon with like what this brought out and maybe some of the yes. townspeople, right? Absolutely. Like big changes bring usually some good behavior and some bad behavior from people. In the 40 seconds left, what is it called? 
Oh boy. Um, I mean, is it just called I am not Banksy? And the the show the show art is like the the pin that the guy wears. Yeah. I love it. I love that. That's better than Arts Council funding. <laughs> and and you, <laughs> and you think series? I think series. Yeah. Okay. I feel like Rory Kinnear plays the council person. You know, oh, the that would be perfect. Right? <laughs> yep. Where are we yep. placing it? Where where do, where does this stream? Hmm. What's the is Channel Four? Yeah. I was, I was, so they it's not ITV for sure. <laughs> no, it's not ITV. It's not BBC One. <laughs> Amazing. And that is time. Charming. I love what you've done with the place. What a what a what a great story though. I mean, like, yeah. That that poor man. I know. It's like, oh dude, I hope you just enjoy your art. Also, if you're Banksy, like fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hats off to you. (laughs) Oh man. I mean, this is this would prove the Banksy collective theory of like him being one part of Banksy. One. Right. Mm-hmm. But not not the totality. Right. Yeah. The movie where the rest of Banksy's come after him. We'll leave that for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Season two. There you go. <laughs> I have the next idea and it's not as delightful, unfortunately, but it is maybe as absurd. <laughs> This comes to us from our friends at NPR. Uh, There will be a link in the episode description if you want to read the article. And the headline just has a beautiful simplicity to it. So I will read it. How to murder your husband writer found guilty of murdering her husband. (laughs) Sometimes it's just the right amount of on the nose. (laughs) Oh, man. This is actually from today. This verdict got handed down today. Um, So a jury in Portland has convicted a self-published romance novelist who once wrote an essay titled How to Murder Your Husband of fatally shooting her husband four years ago. The jury of seven women and five men found Nancy Crampton Brophy, 71, guilty of second degree murder Wednesday after deliberating over two days in Chef Daniel Brophy's death, uh, K-O-I-N-TV reported. Brophy, 63, was killed on June 2nd, 2018, as he prepped for work at the Oregon Culinary Institute in southwest Portland. Crampton Brophy displayed no visible reaction Wednesday inside the crowded uh, courtroom. Lisa Maxwell, one of the defense attorneys, says the team plans to appeal. Crampton Brophy said during the trial that she had no reason to kill her husband and that their financial problems had largely been solved by cashing in a chunk of Brophy's retirement savings plan. She owned the same make and model of the gun used to kill her husband and was seen on surveillance camera footage driving to and from the Culinary Institute. Court exhibits and court testimony showed. But police never found the gun that killed Brophy. Prosecutors allege that Crampton Brophy swapped out the barrel of the gun used in the shooting and then discarded the barrel. Crampton Brophy's how-to treatise detailed various options for committing an untraceable killing and professed a desire to avoid getting caught as opposed to essays that profess a desire to get caught committing murder. If I kill anybody, I'd love to get caught. But if you just have a different opinion, here's some advice. Uh, The circuit judge ultimately excluded the essay from the trial, noting that it was published in, in 2011. A prosecutor, however, alluded to the essay's themes without naming it after Crampton Brophy took the stand. She has remained in custody since her arrest in September. Her sentencing has been scheduled uh, for June 13th. Holy um, cow. So she yeah. she may be declared innocent yet. She may she may appeal the decision. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but she has been Oh, she's, she's been, been de- de- declared guilty and they're figuring out what they're the punishment f- is. Yes. Okay. She's 
vowed to appeal the decision, which has um, some circles, some which has some circumstantial evidence <sighs> in it. Wow. So I'm going to put 10 minutes on this timer. Write me an essay. <laughs> Holy I mean, good God. Lord. Where do you start? I mean, <laughs> just like slow clap for that essay. I just yeah. I feel like, <laughs> wow, like there's a growing bookshelf uh, with uh, the juice. What is his name? Uh, fucking uh, O.J. Simpson. Yeah, O.J. Simpson's yeah. book. I didn't do yeah. it, but if I did, <laughs> it sounds bad. No, it's a very unfortunate genre. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, just as that's a rule of thumb, don't write stuff like that. Don't write instructional manuals about how to kill people. Wow. Because then if you are innocent and you didn't do it, it's going to be really hard to make it look like you yes. are innocent. So I feel like there is like something to a murder zine. Now stick with me. Say more. What is a murder zine? (laughs) So first definitions. So zine is like an indie magazine that was very popular Mm -hmm. in like, I don't know when that got cool. It was definitely a thing in the 90s. I feel like it's still a thing. It was the 80s, 90s. Basically Tumblr, but on paper. Yeah. And so the idea of a zine by people who are just like can't stop killing can't stop (laughs) won't stop but like have good reason i feel like that like there has to be like sort of a dexter feel to this we're like Mm -hmm. we're in some way shape or form rooting for our murderous publishers sure they had a comment yeah yeah like just basically making Goodbye, Earl, by the chicks. Yes. Into like a series of essays about how to murder, you know, your abusive spouses and bad people and other murderers. Right. I love this because it's a scene you could put it on a roadside stand out by Highway 109. Right. You could. Well, anyway, it would make sense as a zine too, right? Because it's like you don't necessarily want this thing to be super traceable. Uh, who do we think publishes this thing? Like who's sort of behind getting this out there and, and, and sorting through the essays that are submitted? Yeah. Or like collecting the essays. Cause I have to imagine that like you, you'd have to go out and find some of these stories too. Initially there would have to be some solicitation for sure. And then right. presumably after that you could get some submissions. Right. And I, I think that like the frame story would be the FBI agent or, you know, the three letter agency person who's mm-hmm. like looking at photos of the like box that all the pages are in is like and looking at an example of this and being like really is this for real uh, but like who to answer the question like who is behind all this i feel like it's somebody who either had to kill for justice or for self protection mm-hmm. or like wanted to and didn't and like you know sort of like had somebody help them and has like sort of dedicated their life in the aftermath of that to like enabling others in their situation it'd be cool i think maybe if you know to combine these threads if it was an fbi agent who's had to like book people for killings that morally perhaps feel justified but letter of the law not so much or people sneak by and sort of end up going free and so Mm -hmm. this fbi agent's like well then i want to enact my own vigilante justice absolutely on these people interesting i think the other direction could be it's it's like a crime novelist who's trying to source ideas (laughs) (laughs) i do like that one like someone who uh maybe 
Are they like a successful crime novelist or aspiring crime novelist? Because I think that's probably important. I think they write under a pen name and I think that they churn out a book every three months that gets sold in air- airport bookstores. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like they're not on any bestseller list, but they, like they're making banks, you know? Yeah. yeah. I like the idea that maybe they were on the bestseller list Ooh. and they're just mm-hmm. like has been. Oh, combine all of that. They were on the bestseller list for writing a fictional crime novel about a crime that they themselves were somehow involved in. Like something that happened in a town that they grew up in, something that happened to like a relative mm-hmm. of theirs. Mm-hmm. And then that was such a smash hit. And then they tried to write a a crime novel after that, their follow-up just from like a crime of their own creation. And it totally flopped. Uh, and now yeah. they're like very disillusioned and like doing sort of this formulaic stuff. They haven't put an original idea to paper in like 10 years. And they are just churning the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, just yep. taking these stories and putting them into into fictional yep. tellings. Yeah. I kind of feel like they should have a gambling problem, but I don't <laughs> know that they need to. Like, yeah, I, I'm yeah, yeah. Tr- I'm trying to figure out like the, the <laughs> whether there's a money need or if this is a scheme to try and like get back to that like mystery bestseller list. No reason it couldn't be both. Right. Like p- like part of it is like, you know, like crawling back uh, back up to that bestseller list so that they can repay all of their debts. Mm-hmm. Right. What do we think their gambling thing of choices? Do we think it's like horses, poker? What do we think it is? So Sports. I think they're older. So it's not going to be like online like poker, super online, I think. I think that's a mm-hmm. good good choice. Um, I mean, we could just go with an old classic. and It's just they have a real bad problem with like the video poker down oh, the block. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This person now has a vibe. <laughs> a real vibe. <laughs> video poker addict releasing a murder zine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man. Do we think that there's anybody in their life that they would like to kill? Like, is there like a rival author or something that they're like, yeah, maybe someday a rival have author or like an ex editor? I think something oh, to do with their yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't want to give them like an unfortunate spouse or something. No, 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 no. It definitely would have to be. Yeah. Sort of professionally or monetarily driven. Right. Like maybe the head the, of a publishing house or something. Yeah. Maybe somebody dropped their third book mm. before they went self-publishing. And it's, mm-hmm. they've just like had mm-hmm. that like photo on the dartboard ever since. Because they're convinced that that book would have sold if it had just been published traditionally and not That's self-published. Right. That's yeah. right. Three minutes, by the way. Okay. Oh, boy. What perspective are we taking on this now that it's a little bit more developed? Are we close up on our disgruntled writer? Are we coming to it via like uh, an investigator frame? Is it like a catch me if you can type thing like where we're kind of cutting back and forth? Maybe it's like a like a, 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 a mix of like catch me if you can and like lemony snicket, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like there's this like investigator who's like been like reading the zine and there's always an editor's letter that's like very like specific and personal and it's signed with this like very clearly fake pen name Mm -hmm. and so it's like we are sort of getting to know the the publisher of the scene through these editor's notes right but like in the way that you kind of get to know lemony snicket through series of unfortunate events and like his little asides and the dedications and stuff but like we don't actually hit their perspective until like the investigator actually finds them. I like this. I like that too, because then like who this person actually turns out to be can be very surprising based Mm -hmm. on the persona that they present in the editor's note. And you can also kind of structure this as like 
almost like a road trip movie of this investigator trying to go to where the clues are and like trying to pick up the next edition of the zine. Yeah. Oh, I like that. It all ends in a Vegas casino. Well, and I think that maybe, you know, throughout the, the, the stories that are published in this scene, maybe the, the investigator starts to have a crisis of conscience where they're yeah. like, maybe some of these murders are justified. Like maybe vigilante justice is good. And when they finally find the person, kind of like with the Banksy thing, right? Where it's like, do I actually want to bring this person in? Do I want to reveal their identity? Like, or are they actually doing like good for the world by being like, you know, vigilante justice and encouraging that? Here's, here's what it is. They catch them. Mm-hmm. And we like, it's like edited in this way where like we think it's going to be handcuffs, but instead there's a manila envelope with their own murder story for submission. Oh, that's a good twist. I like that. There are no heroes. I love it. (laughs) Uh, About 40 seconds. What is this called? Uh, Red Rum Press. Uh, I'm like, what would a murder zine be called? Like, like killer um, instincts, like some sort of like play on words yeah. with that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh boy, like what's a like a, what's a get away with murder without really trying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Simon and shoot her. <laughs> Simon and shoot her. <laughs> um, that's time. So that's what we're going. With. <laughs> I was like, what's what's a publishing thing like Penguin Murder House? No, like. <laughs> That's pretty good too. Damn. Oh man. Uh, killer imprint. Killer that's, imprint. That's good. There it is. That's it. There's it's killer also, imprint. Uh, hatchet. Just straight. Oh yeah. Up. Oh yeah. Hashe hatchet. Yeah. yeah. It's less clear. And that can but... be like a fun thing where it's like like people keep pronouncing it hashe, and he's like, no, 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 it's hatchet. Yeah. It's hatchet. Yeah. No, no, no. The weapon is a hatchet. <laughs> it's, it's it's the other one. It's not it's not that publishing house. It's this Kindle one. Kindle single oh. graves. That's funny. Perfect. (laughs) 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 Fucking awesome idea. (laughs) Jeez. That was fun. Wow. What wild stories. Uh, These were both pretty nuts. God, our species does not quit. Yeah, we didn't no even kidding. have a Florida man story. Truly, I know. Yeah. I, I I was fully expecting a Florida man, but no, Portland and um and Wales. And yep. Wales. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go uh, gird our loins against the Florida men that have definitely uh, creeped up behind us as we've been focusing <laughs> on other areas. And we'll be right back after this. Hello there, Zach Valenti, jumping into this episode with this brief reminder that we have an active Patreon page to support the production of No Bad Ideas and all the other crazy worlds we're building behind the scenes. To check that out, scope the sweet rewards we offer for monthly subscriptions, as well as how to sign up yourself. Head on over to nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. Once more, that's nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. If you already support the show, we so appreciate that. And regardless, thank you for listening. All right, let's get back to more No Bad Ideas.
thankfully we have evaded the clutches of the dread Florida man, and we're here with Lauren Shippen to just chat all things creative. And I guess just to start out, for the folks who haven't heard, could you share your superhero origin story in the world of audio fiction? <laughs> oh, sure. So back in 2015, I was acting in LA and working at a restaurant doing the whole thing and mm -hmm. um, wanted to create my own work and had been listening to Welcome to Night Vale as so many audio fiction origin stories begin and thought, huh, maybe I can do a podcast. And so I created The Bright Sessions, which is about people with supernatural abilities and therapy and got a couple of friends from acting class to play the other characters and just started making it and putting it out there. And we had a lot of fun. And so we just kept making it and then people found it and then we kept making it. And it kind of just snowballed into a career that I now have, which is, which is wild. And yeah, along the way, I, I, you know, got to, to work on a lot of other fiction podcasts and meet a lot of other wonderful fiction podcasters, including you guys who I met oh. in what, 2016. I mean, we've known each other for quite some time it's now, wild. which is wild. Cause yeah, you were, nice. you were first to the, you were already making amazing audio fiction by the time that I, I rolled up. I think like, I think we sort of connected just purely through like, I, yeah, I was a fan of Wolf and we connect on social media and now here we are all these years later. It's wild. Now, um, can you fill in the gaps of how you are now debuting your new project? at Tribeca Film Festival? Yeah. I mean, as all things do, it happened very, you know, circuitously and just through like the the wider community of, of people. So since making The Bright Sessions, I have made, I don't know, it's anywhere from eight to 12 podcasts, depending on sort of what you're counting as, as me making it. I've executive produced a lot of shows that I haven't written. I've written, directed a lot of things. I'm sort of, you know, always working on, on various projects and um, have worked on a lot of projects for like larger corporations. Like I wrote a show for Marvel. I wrote a show for Netflix for Stranger Things, uh, Bridgewater, my most recent show is with Aaron Menke and iHeart. And sort of through that more like, I guess, like formalized entertainment structure, I got connected with uh, the WGA and the organizing effort there, which I believe both of you are right. Sarah, I know I've seen you in organizing committee meetings. We're both on the organizing committee. And I mean, they reached out to me. I'm not a member of the WGA, but they reached out to me um, back in 2019 or something and wow. we just sort of got oh, talking yeah, about been that long. yeah we just got <sighs> started talking about organizing the space and it's now been yeah this like three-year effort um and many months ago well actually sort of it, this i guess the sort of the tribeca thing was twofold which is that tribeca formerly known as the Tribeca Film Festival, now just known as the Tribeca Festival because they mm -hmm. started to incorporate television and these other things and now audio storytelling. And the audio storytelling track of the festival was introduced maybe two years ago, three years ago. Mm -hmm. okay. And I was on... Uh, they reached out to me to be on the jury for the Tribeca Audio Prize um, for the 2020 uh, festival. And so I sort of became aware of their audio storytelling thing then. And then through the WGA group, I just got connected to this wonderful guy, David Gardner, who now works at Tribeca, helping run their audio storytelling track. And so we've you know been connected for a little while just through the WGA thing. And he reached out at the top of this year and said, hey, you know, do you have anything you'd want to premiere here. And I was like, I 
I I don't have anything ready, but like I could make this pilot by the time June rolls around. And I like, I've been trying to light a fire under my ass about this show. This could be a good way to do it. And so he, here we are. I, I mean, yeah, the, the wonderful thing about like being part of such a small community and being part of a small community for so long is that you just kind of get to do this stuff sometimes. Like every now and then someone will come up to you and be like, hey, do you want to just like experiment on this new thing that we're trying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's been a, a great joy of, of being in this audio fiction industry. I want to ask you about Mirage Diner a little bit because this is an idea that has been around before Davey gave you a call, yeah? Yeah, so... Um, this is something that that has been in development at Atypical Artists, my podcast company, basically since Atypical began at the end of 2018. Um, when I started the the company with my friends Jordan and Brigham, one of the things I really wanted to do was get a weekly show going because, mm-hmm. as we all know, the only way to like really make money in podcasting is to release something on the regular. And ideally, you know, every week, every other week, Night Vale has managed to build up, you know, an entire industry around it by being a bi-monthly show for seven, eight years. And the Bright Sessions, you know, ran for a number of years fairly consistently, but there would still be season breaks and ultimately the show ended and, 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 you guys know how hard it is to get funding to get just one season of a (laughs) fiction show. And so I really wanted to do a weekly show and I wanted it to not be an anthology. So I wanted to have a through line of story in the way that Night Vale does. And I wanted to have like a consistent cast and then lots of guest stars sort of each episode and ideally be a place where I could hire new directors, writers, actors, sound designers, and like kind of build out my stable of, of collaborators. So this show has been in development since 2018, but it's based on a game that I used to play with myself as a child. <laughs> like that's the real origin story of it. Incredible. There used to be this diner called Mirage Diner in, I want to say it was Yonkers in Westchester. It has since been torn down, which is tragic. <laughs> um, but I used to go to it sometimes as a kid and I just liked that it was called Mirage Diner. I liked the idea of it being a mirage and just sort of like popping up. And I had this little diner playset as like a Uh a nine, 10 year old. And so I would, I had these two dolls and I would pretend that they were traveling through time and space. And and this diner was showing up as a mirage alongside the road. People Mm -hmm. could then stop into. And then like, if you drove past that same spot the next day, it would be gone. And so that was like this imagination game. I would just play with myself like the weird kid that I was. And that is that is essentially the concept of the show. It's changed very little from the 10 year old <laughs> concept yeah. that I had come up with. Um, and except now I have actors instead of uh, Barbies. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the origin. That's yeah. very cool. So it's been, a, it's been 20 years in the making. <laughs> As all the best projects seem to require. Yeah. I believe we have like an early deck somewhere in our inboxes uh, from when this was first kicking around, which is just wild to see it come to life. Probably. Yeah. I mean, just the show art has been sort of sitting in my Google Drive for four years. (laughs) Like, it's just wild to have it out there now. (laughs) I'm curious how you think about whether to go independent or work with a partner, just like when you have an idea and you've been like sort of a dog with a bone for decades, mm-hmm. what's your thinking about how to go about realizing it? It's changed immensely over the past several years. Um, and I would be really curious actually to hear your guys' perspective on this as well, because I know that you are often having the same kinds of conversations that I'm having on a regular sure. basis. Yeah. And I think back in like what, 2018, 2019, when like audio fiction was really kind of hitting 
hitting a point in the podcast industry where money was starting to be poured into it. Yeah. Uh, pitching was like really exciting. And like, you know, you sort of would like meet all, I would meet all these different companies who were wanting to get into audio fiction for the first time. And they would be really excited about it. And we'd send them ideas and they'd love the ideas. And Mirage Jenner was actually in development for two years with a company that wanted to produce it. That I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as with a lot of things, the pandemic really shifted the way everyone's that focused. everyone's focused and the way that yep. people were willing to invest in audio fiction. And so now, for the most part, I'm like, I'm every week I talk to a new company that sprouted up that wants to make audio fiction. And I love it. I'm very excited about it. That's not a complaint. And like, I'm also constantly talking to traditional media companies that have been making TV, film, video games, books, whatever, for many decades who are like, we want to get into audio fiction. Like, can we talk yeah. to you? Um, I'm sure you guys have a lot of that same stuff coming into your inboxes. I always love having those conversations. I am like currently working on two different projects that have been brought to me in such a capacity that like I'm either directing, script consulting, executive producing, mm -hmm. whatever, right? And I always, you know, shoot over some log lines to those people, maybe keep a conversation going. But for the most part, I do not pitch new ideas anymore. I'm making them independently. For the foreseeable future, I am going to just muscle my way through in the way that I did with the Bright Sessions and get stuff out there because you get to keep more of the money on the back end when it's all yours. Yep. <laughs> you actually mm -hmm. get to make it on a timeline that isn't soul crushing. Yeah, that isn't hurry up and wait or like, please like hurt yourself. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And for the most part, the budgets that I've encountered for original work uh, in sort of the pitching process or, or potential like partnership process are just not at the levels that they need to be yet. And it's very interesting. Like, you know, some companies are very happy to pay me my rate to write scripts for them or to direct for them. And then when I give them a budget with those same rates for an original idea, it's not quite the same. They don't, they don't want to pay those rates. And so like, all right, well, if I'm not going to be paid my full rate, then I might as well just do this for free and keep all of the money on the back end. Right. If it um, hits. Yeah. Yeah. If it hits, you know, and with something like Mirage, I, you know, with the premiering of Tribeca, you never know. Maybe someone will come up to me and be like, I want to give you a million dollars to do this. Yeah. Um, right. And you can do whatever you want, full creative freedom. But unless it happens, like I, you know, it's going to be probably, it's probably going to premiere, you know, maybe later this year, early 2023. It's going to take a little while mm -hmm. to get off the ground, but like, then I'll do it the way that I, I, I want to. Um, and that will have its pros and cons. I think something that you sometimes really miss in doing independent producing, especially the way that I tend to function as a sort of solo act a lot of the time. You don't get that input from a production partner that is sometimes really makes something much, much better. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, that's a, that's a loss. But I have these two incredible lead actors who are so enthusiastic about the project and who I think are going to bring lots of ideas to the table. Um, yeah. I, 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 anyway, I, I would be really curious to hear where you guys are at with that entire process. I mean, I, I'm curious... Sarah, what your perspective is. Um, I have my own. I'm sure there's overlap because we talk about I, this all the time. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of, a, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. We are, we are in the same place of like, just being sad about how cynical we are about yeah. Yeah. pitching, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, we used to be so excited. Um, oh, I know. We were so young and fresh-faced. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, we we sort of as as a group kind of went through like sort of collected all of the ideas that we had by a particular point and kind of figured out, OK, which one of these are for us? And we don't want to ever, you know, lose control over it, that we're you know willing to sort of take 
take the hit in terms of having to set aside time, having to set aside money to do it, but we get to do it our way versus what's what are ideas that like, you know, if someone else owned this and paid us to do it, like we'd have fun doing it. It would be it would be a fun paycheck. Yeah. And so we kind of have things in two camps and we're always like when we sort of get an inquiry, you know, we go over to camp number two and we're like, okay, which things haven't we sent in a while? Like, let's give them a whirl at the roulette wheel. (laughs) But like, I personally, I have no investment and no expectation in any of them coming to fruition, which is also a little sad. I forgot about that particular camp because for the same reason, which is that like, I don't necessarily, it's not the kind of like this thing, I have, I have to get this story out of my chest or I will die kind of feeling. Cause like I literally, literally earlier this week, I pitched something like, and I just forgot, I just forgot because like (laughs) it's something, (laughs) it's something I've been developing with this fantastic team for like a year and, you know, developing it because like they liked the idea. None of us are getting paid for it. Right. Like they get paid Uh their salaries as part of the company, but like it's, it's a shopping agreement, right? Like you don't get paid for that, but we just pitched it to something. And it's, it's one of those projects where it's like, I will literally never make this on my own because it is so goddamn expensive to make. Yeah. And the reason I want to make it is also the reason that it's expensive, which is that it's like, I want to try a completely new way of telling a story in audio that just sort of logistically is expensive and time consuming. Yeah. And I think the characters are fun. I think writing the scripts would be fun, but like, this is not a story that like is really saying something from my heart. It's not a story that like mm-hmm. I need to get off my chest. It's like a story that will be fun and, and kind of frothy, but that will be mostly a way for me to like experiment in this particular form. And I think that stuff really has... Nerd Zach wants to know if it's 3D audio. <laughs> it is not... I don't need it to is not, It is not... No, no, no. It is not 3D audio in the sense that like it's not 3D audio... Uh, like engineering in, that way. Yeah, engineering that yeah. way. The best the best thing I can sort of like tease for it is like sleep no more. Ah, like, okay. th- like that experience that you have attending sleep no more a yeah. couple times is kind of cool. The direction of, of no the more. thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I totally get that camp of like, here are the ideas that would be fun, but that we can and I I do that a lot. And you guys do that too, where it's like you get hired to do those types of things. Someone yeah. comes to you with an idea and the idea is cool and fun. Like, yep. and the best versions of those, like making Bridgewater has been like a blast and a half. Like working with Aaron and Misha on that show That's is awesome. so fun. And like, I have so much creative freedom within it, but also it was an idea that like Aaron brought to me, right? It's like, I didn't yeah. have to come up with it. I didn't come up with all these characters. Like they're from, you know, his heart and his mind and we collaborate together, but it's not like I was, you know, like thinking about it for, for months and months and months in the way that you often do when you're like coming up with a world and characters of, of your own. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's both like a weird realization of, cause you know, when you young writers, I think feel like you kind of have to sing the song of your soul in everything. And it's like weirdly freeing to like have stuff that are like, yeah, that would be fun to do. That's that's a yeah. thing we haven't done before. Um, but I don't need to do it. I can do some things for fun and then I have some fixations that'll end up in everything. Yeah. And sometimes the stuff that you get hired to do that like, you know, right off the bat, like whether it's an IP project or somebody else's project, like you're not going to own, you're not going to be in this world forever. It's going to be yep. eight months. Sometimes that stuff is the most fun and also the most like instructive, right? Like the things that yeah. you learn from that and the way that you grow as a writer or a creative, like having to play in somebody else's sandbox, I think is so valuable. And sometimes like, sometimes it's really nice to play with characters and to get to actually do the act of writing without it being so emotionally fraught. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Like the the stakes can weirdly feel lower 
even if professionally gives you a different perspective on them, like because totally. they're not in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, you, I, you can sort of go into it like you're going into an office. Um, and totally. Can, yeah. And like, I yeah. don't know. I don't know if you guys experienced this with with Wolf. I have a feeling you did because, you know, both of us have been very, very lucky to have incredibly dedicated and lovely and passionate audiences. And, yeah. you know, like with, with the Bright Sessions, like, of course, you could tell stories in, in the world of the Bright Sessions forever. Right. It's, it's people in, in therapy of superpowers. Like there's no end in sight of that yeah. permutation. Mm-hmm. And like. You know, I, I think as we expand the world, like and 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 it sort of reached its like critical critical success. People were very confused as to why I would want to stop the show yeah. then, right? Yeah. And it's like, why do you want to end this thing when like this is you know paying your bills basically? And it's like, well, because this is I I have taken twenty five years of an anxiety disorder and and packaged it into this thing and and also a lot of other thoughts and feelings about the world and about people mm-hmm. and about relationships and I can't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't I can't feel so strongly about these characters and then put them out into the world and have them received like it's a you know TV show on the CW and fans are wonderful about it and some people also tear it apart, right? It's like you can't like there's only so much of that that you can do before you kind of are like if I stay in this world longer I am actually going to start to hate it and that's a thing that I want yeah. to avoid. Yeah. I don't know if you guys felt that way at all with wolf no we we do and like periodically we will get like people <laughs> being like are you interested in writing a, yeah we love a more book wolf or doing please. a thing we would yeah. love more wolf please yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah and we're, we're kind of like but we we don't know what we would do yes like, yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's when it's your stuff and it's like emotional connection you go through a character arc as a creator the same way that the characters do and when you're done like you're done yeah yeah it's like going through all of college and grad school and then having somebody be like do you want to stay actually in grad school forever and it's like no actually i i I would like to transition out and do a different thing Uh, now please give me my degree i am done yeah Yeah. that's that's how making these podcasts at least for me like felt like i felt like doing grad school for six years right of like Mm -hmm. i'm learning how to do literally everything in my job all at once. Mm-hmm. I'm not being paid for it. <laughs> and it's also like very emotionally taxing. <laughs> yeah. Which I've never been to grad school, but I've heard that that's what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Much like grad school, we were paying to get started in exactly. this medium. Yes, it was um, costing us money. <laughs> yes, yes. A discount in time, compared in to some of the grad schools yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I, my perspective on like the space, capital S, T, M, is I feel like we've been in this interesting position of like not being the first drop in the pond, Mm -hmm. right? Like Night Vale clearly created a demand where there previously wasn't visibly any. Yes. um, And that we've benefited from. And we've just sort of been watching the space kind of like as a bouncy castle, welcome to my mixed metaphor, uh, being inflated. And like, I remember like some of our early pitches where people were just like, jaw on the floor that we would ask for anything over six figures to make a new series, like completely ignoring the fact that there is obviously more than one person involved, like Mm -hmm. probably more in the order of a dozen. And it's going to be, you know, like at least a quarter of like three or four of those people's years. Yeah. And like we're in New York City at the time. So I just feel like there was this very unrealistic mindset that that was a function of people coming off of the sugar rush of the ad based business model around talk shows where people mm-hmm. realized they could send a stand up comedian a microphone 
and mint something on the order of, you know, twenty five to fifty thousand dollars a month in a year of doing things consistently. Um, And it would only cost that much maybe to pay the person, you know, uh, depending on who they were. And obviously things have changed and gone up. And there, as you say, is a model of you publish every week and you collect your checks every month. And because you have that weekly inventory and you're never taking long breaks, you stay relevant with people. And that's just not how fiction works unless you take a step back, see that as the industry that we live within and the environment we live within and sort of like custom you know, tailor an idea to fit. So, you know, sort of shout out kudos to, I mean, that's just such a brilliant idea. Um, and awesome that it has the soul of something that, you know, you've brought with you from childhood. Yeah. And, you know, so we're just starting to be in conversations where we see people coming to the table with budgets that might make sense if we, you know, booked three or four of them in a year. Right. Um, and, this is the first time we've had conversation, right? So it's like, I feel like there's still like sort of miles to go before we sleep to call this our like full, full-time job in a way that I feel like it's very easy for people on Twitter to be like, oh my God, like <laughs> these people are podcasters. It's like, well, we do podcasting and like, you know, a uh, bunch of us have freelance work. A couple mm-hmm. of us have day jobs. Like, you know, it, yeah. it, it's not quite as... uh a run race as I think it it may appear. Absolutely. I think the, I I think the sort of expectation setting has been so all over the place. Cause like I've experienced the same thing where it's like, you know, people are like, Oh, you can make this, this 12 episode series with 30 actors and seven sound designers for 10 bucks. Right. Like you can do that. (laughs) Um, but then also I, I, I really benefited from the initial audio fiction gold rush with the luminary deal. I'm like, I know that everybody's got their opinions about luminary to this day. It is to me, the gold standard of any contract that I've seen and any kind of budget that I've seen, because it's like, how many people give you enough money to pay everybody really genuinely what they're worth sign off on the idea and then just leave you to it. Luminary had absolutely no creative input. And like, yes, the trade-off of all of that was that I was behind a paywall, but yeah. like, okay, yeah. <laughs> like so is Netflix, you know, like so is everything. Yeah. yeah. And, un- and unfortunately, you know, like fiction wasn't ready for that, right? There yeah. just isn't a big enough audience yet. And so, so that model is not going to work in fiction for now yeah. and maybe not for a long time, but like, yeah, it's like, it's particular the whiplash is from that with some of these other companies that I know, you know, make way more money than Luminary ever has, where I'm just like, I know what you're spending on such and such comedian who doesn't, you know, do anything and other than, you know, sort of like spit vitriol into a m- microphone, like... No, I'm not going to take your paltry 100k to pay 35 people like, <laughs> for for eight months. Like that's not happening. Yeah, this is why if you are an audio drama writer, you should join the WGA Audio Alliance. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> so that we can unionize the space and create some set of standards for writers in audio drama. That is my my soapbox spiel. And I I love that soapbox. And then I look up at the giant. Um, what, what is that? movie with the da, 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 bum, 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 with the uh, the monkeys like uh, fuck, 2001 Space Odyssey oh. like ob- oh, the monolith? obelisk yeah the monolith yeah, I'm the just monolith. like looking up the giant monolith of Amazon's Audible yeah. that like does not deal with unions and going like I wonder how this is going to work yeah only way they will is if we make them yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and I think That's well said I, I, I do think that there is there is more 
inroads there because of the way Audible sort of structured their relationship to the audio space than we than we think that there is, you know, because a lot of companies work with Audible and a lot of those companies aren't Audible and could be unionized. So it's true. Just saying. Game on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, until we are in charge of Audible, which I hope one day we all are. I'm sure in six uh, months we will all be <laughs> joint CEOs. <laughs> exactly. Um, Lauren, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for stopping by and, and chatting about this stuff. Thank you so much for having me and for letting me just rant about the audio fiction industry for an hour. Such <laughs> a pleasure. Time. Seriously. Delightful to talk to you guys about this stuff. Um, if folks want to go hear this fabulous new show of yours, how should they go about it? Where should they go? Okay, so um, if you go to at Lauren Chippen on Twitter, on Instagram, the link is right there on my pinned tweet slash my Instagram bio. I'm going to double check that that's actually true. Um, The show premieres in Tribeca in New York City um, at 5.30 p.m. on June 9th. Uh, So Thursday, June 9th. Uh, Tickets are still available. They're $20. It's going to be really fun. We're going to play the first episode. We're going to do a reading of the second episode. And then we're going to do a little talk back. Dylan Marin of Welcome to Night Vale fame is going to be there. He is the sweetest, mm. sweetest man alive. Um, and I'm very excited to see him. And our two leads will be there too. So it's going to be a really, really fun time. Um, and yeah, just at Lauren Chippen everywhere on social media. Come say hello. That is freaking amazing. I'm very excited. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, Lauren. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. And thank you all at home for listening. We'll be back next week with more No Bad Ideas. This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show happen. And a special shout out to our idealist members, Jennifer Schneider, Rena Sarame, Jeffrey Felsher, and Dia. Today's episode features music by Statesure and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you love this show, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen and share it with someone you love.